again a couple of weeks ago talking on this subject of why we believe. The first week we talked about why we believe in God, and we discussed the different aspects of why we believe that there is a God and how that He has exhibited Himself to us. The next week we talked about why we believe in the Bible. We talked about historical proofs. We talked about scientific proofs, and we talked about even personal proofs that we have in our life. Today I want to talk to you about why we believe in biblical morality. So would you take your Bibles today and go to the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, and as you're doing that, let me say hello to our campuses today. I am thankful for what's happening in each location, whether it's Cordova or Craneville or Henderson or Savannah, and I know that God is doing a work there, and we're glad that you are part of Love and Truth Church. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm glad you're with us today. So let's get ready to see what the Word of God speaks to us. And we've been talking on this aspect of why we believe. Why, why is it that as a Christian you believe in certain things? And one of those is, why do we believe in morality? Why do we believe in biblical morality? What, what is it that's different in maybe what the world says and what the Bible says? When you look at the Bible, it gives you a whole different aspect than what the world does. Here's, here, let me, let me kind of contrast it today. The world says that God is loving and tolerant. But the Bible says that God is loving and holy. See the difference? The, the world says that people are basically good. The Bible says people are sinful. How many of you know you don't have to teach your kids to sin? Right? The world says people can and must earn God's favor. The Bible says that you're saved by grace and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any person should boast. And so when you begin to look at that, what you find is, is that God has established a sense of morality in His kingdom and upon this earth. Now here, let me, let me just kind of real quickly just kind of give you a basis of that. Why do we believe in biblical morality? We believe in biblical morality because if we would live up to what God's Word says, every societal issue that mankind is trying to fix would be fixed. Everything from hunger, everything from murder, every, I mean, you name it, we would fix it if we would live up to true biblical morality. And so the Bible's ideal of, of morality is more than just a code of behavior that you and I have to adopt or to avoid. It literally is the living out of the purpose of Jesus Christ as He came to this earth and as He gave us His anointing and His power. Now, the, the, the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, we're going to go through verse 3 through 17. we got a lot of ground to cover today, so put your seatbelt on, we're going somewhere. Uh, but, but we're going to look at what is referred to on all occasions as the Ten Commandments. How many of you have ever heard that before? The Ten Commandments. We, we fight wars over the Ten Commandments, which is kind of interesting when the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not murder, but that's a whole other deal. Uh, t here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to show you biblical morality. I'm going to give you, I I'm not going to get so intricate in each and every one of these ten, but I'm going to show you that there is a principle for these ten things that are listed that Scripture gives us today that promotes the values that we need in our life as we move forward. So would you take your Bible or whatever you have the Word of God on and look, we're, we're going to begin in verse 3 and then go through verse 17 as we just pro pro progress this morning. Verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. The, the first value, the first aspect of biblical morality is honoring God. 
If you and I would live day in and day out, that word honor means to respect or, or to give uh, obeisance and, and to love and, and, and to put your attention upon. If you and I really honored God with everything within us day in and day out, in other words, everything we do, we live from the perspective of God does this honor you. Now think about that. Day in and day out in your life, every decision you make, every place you go, everything you do, you are doing that from the sense of, Lord, I want to honor you today. I want my life to be, to be honorable. I mean, come on, now let, let's be honest for a moment. How many of you know that there are moments, right? That there, are, there are times that, that God's not getting much honor in your life. That, that if people were to look at you at that particular moment, it really wouldn't be what you want it to be. And yet, biblical morality says that day in and day out, I'm living my life to honor God. So that's the first principle. That's, that's the first aspect of biblical morality is that everything. In fact, this is kind of the foundation stone that everything else revolves around is this whole aspect of day in and day out, I'm to live my life to honor God. Now let's begin in verse 4. We'll read verse 4 through verse 7. He says, You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And, and then the, the next verse there says, you shall not make for your, excuse me, it goes on to say that, that God in that whole aspect there, that we are to honor him. Verse 7 talks about honoring the Lord and, and giving him obeisance and, and loving him and, and doing what we are called to do in our lives now he, here's the second thing is that we've got to come day in and day out that we recognize God's presence in the world Th this whole thing when it talks about uh, idols when it talks about that the making of idols I doubt if anybody's going to leave this place today or anybody watching me is going to go today and spend time carving out an idol I doubt if you've got some wood in your wood shop that you're just waiting to make an idol with right but you know what? Our idols may not be something we make with our hands, but as American, we have a whole lot of idols. You know, rock stars become idols. Football players become idols. Uh, uh, you know, we, we even have a whole industry that, that of musicians called American Idol, right? That, that we make. And we, here, here's what an idol is. An idol is anything that we place before the Lord. And so Scripture is talking to us here, and what it's saying to us is that you and I need to recognize the presence of the Lord. And it tells us that we are to have no other gods before Him, that He is the only true, the only living God that, that you and I are to focus on, that we are to live day in and day out recognizing the presence of the Lord in this world and so that's that's how we live day in and day out Lord I'm recognizing your presence I'm recognizing what you're doing but but look in verse 8 but we again I'm reading a lot more than normal just go with me verse 8 says remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy six days you shall labor and uh, and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall not do any work neither you 
nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now I know that when you read that verse that some people say, see, you're supposed to worship God on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. The Sabbath begins at Friday evening at 6 o'clock and goes to Saturday evening at 6 o'clock. But Jesus came along, and one day his disciples were on the Sabbath. They were gathering some corn and shucking it and eating it, and the Pharisees got pretty ticked. They got really upset. And Jesus looked at them and said, hey, guys, you're missing the point of the Sabbath. He said this to them. He said, understand that, that man was not made for the Sabbath, but that the Sabbath was made for man. And then the Apostle Paul said, he said, some of you uh, honor one day above the others. He said, here's the whole deal, is that you need to be fully convinced in your own self. Now, here's, here's what I believe. I believe you ought to worship God on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and then start all over again. I, I think any day that ends in Y ought to be honored unto God. Now, now, here's what I think that this scripture is trying to tell us. I think, yes, you need rest and relaxation. I'm not against that. But here's what I think the scripture is saying to us. We need to recognize that time has sacred value. Listen, whatever you wanted to do or you didn't get done yesterday, you're not getting it back. I mean, how many times have we said, man, if I could just go back and change what I did or what I didn't do or what I said, or, Right? But listen, time comes along every second, every minute, every hour, every day. It just comes along. It rolls. It moves. And what we need to come, the, the Bible says, Lord, teach us to count our days. Lord, help us to recognize the sacredness of, of time that we're living. Listen, if, if you ever stand with someone who is about to leave this earth to go to their eternal reward, I can tell you one thing that they will never say. You, you ready? They may say a lot of things. They may say, I wish all my family was here. They may say, you know what, I, I wish I could do. They will never say, I have, I've done it on numerous occasions in all my years of ministry. I have never heard anybody say, Pastor, I wish I had a few more hours to go back to the office. Why? Because at that moment, you're not concerned about work. At that moment, you're concerned about family. You're concerned about friends. You're concerned about eternity that you are about to face. Why? Because in that moment, crystal clear, it becomes what you understand about time, and you know that time is running out. Listen, day in and day out as you live, time is passing you by. Don't take advantage. Don't just let it slide by. Every day. Live your life with the understanding that time has sacred value. Verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now those first three are kind of ethereal in a sense, and, and we can kind of fake it. Oh, yes, I'm honoring God. Yes, I, But the next few kind of just come right where we live. This first one is, is about honoring God. Now, and now, here's the principle I get out of this. We need to honor the institution of the family. That was a good place for an amen. I'll, so I'll give it to you again. You ready? I'll set you up. We need to honor the institution of the family. 
You did good. All right. Have you noticed that, that every television program in the last 20 years or so that they denigrate the family? I can't think of any television program on today that does not denigrate the family in some way, somehow. It, it makes the family look as, as though it's a mess. And yet the Word of God tells us to honor our father and mother. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, you don't understand. If you knew my family. All right, we laugh, but, but some of you are, and some of you have good reason to say that because some of you grew up in horrible circumstances. Some of you who are watching me grew up in, in terrible things. You suffered abuse physically, mentally, sexually, other ways. And, and I want you to hear, Pastor, today, I am not taking away from your woundedness and what you went through. I will say this to you. Let your wound become a scar. Get healed and allow God to use that scar as a testimony of his grace and his mercy. But you know what? The Word of God still tells us that we need to honor the family. I mean, think about television. I'll tell you two of my favorite over the past several years, and one of them goes back a little bit, uh, but one of them was called Tool Time. How many of y'all remember Tool Time? Tim Allen, right? Come on. Uh, more power. That's a man thing. More power. But, but you know what? Tim Allen was always made to look like an idiot. Think about it. His wife was always smarter, she was always better, she was always, and, and all the women are going, well, of course. <laughs> the, the, the other one that I like, neither one of these are on anymore, the other one that I still will watch reruns of today uh, was Everybody Loves Raymond, right? I mean, come on, it's a hilarious show, but again, Raymond's the idiot, and Deborah's the smart one. Now, you say, Pastor, that's just fun. I understand. But watch this. The devil doesn't have to get you to go through a divorce to destroy your family. The devil just has to denigrate fatherhood, motherhood, the whole process of the family, and he'll destroy the family from within. And so the Word of God says in this whole aspect of biblical morality, honor the family. And then, and then verse 13, the next couple of three verses are just real short, right to the point. Verse 13 says, you shall not murder. Pretty clear. Really don't need a whole lot of explanation. But the fifth thing, the fifth value is upholding the right to life. I, I believe that from conception until death, life is valuable. I recently went through a Holocaust museum in, in Washington, D.C., and, and I only went because the people I was with wanted to go through, because I've been through them before, and they always, they mess up my next two or three days. And the thing that messes me up the most in every Holocaust museum I've ever gone through is when I walk into the room where they will have just piles of people's shoes. I don't know how to, how to explain this to you, but even talking about it, I, I feel an emotion. And and I, I, as I walk through that and as I see all the things that happen, I watched as a whole nation decided that life was not valuable. If you weren't of a certain race, if you didn't have a certain intellect, if you were at a certain point of life where your life had no quality, 
that millions of people, not just Jewish people, but millions of people were killed because life was no longer valued. And yet God's word, again, remember, God's morality, the biblical morality says that all of life should be valued. That's why we take a stand and that we believe that abortion is wrong because we value life from conception until death. Now, I want to say, if you're here or you're listening to me today and you've had an abortion, God forgives. God is merciful. God is loving and kind. But we still believe that we ought to look at life as though it's valuable. Then he goes on, verse 14. Again, right to the point. You shall not commit adultery. Don't need to spend a lot of time there. We all understand. The the sixth principle here is safeguarding marriage. I I believe you need to safeguard your marriage. I preached a series a few months ago called Guardrails, and and I talked about marriage in there, and, and I gave some things that people need to put in their life as guardrails, that you don't go out and eat with somebody of the opposite sex by yourself, that you don't take trips uh, with somebody of the opposite sex, if you don't do, I mean, you, you just, and, and I got kickback. I can't believe pastor is so narrow-minded. Let, let me help you. I don't take it back. I believe with all of my heart we ought to safeguard our marriages. Nobody just falls into adultery. Some of you need to get off of Facebook. Well, glory, I'm preaching good now. Because you're hooking up with some old love that you went to high school with that you hadn't seen in 25 years. And their profile picture is still showing you what they were and not what they are. And I'll just quote a great theologian. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. You need to come back and do what the Bible says, and that is you need to be delighted in the wife or the husband of your youth. That's what God's called us to, and I believe the church needs to take a stand that we safeguard our marriages and that we understand God wants us to have healthy relationships with one another. Amen. Verse 15, pretty to the point. You shall not steal. Again, pretty easy. Now, now here's the principle I think that's in here. It's the whole principle of of defending human freedom and dignity. I I believe anything that I do that steals away from human freedom or dignity is wrong. That's why slavery at any level is always wrong. I I don't care that the church has in the past come up with reasons for it. It's still wrong. We, 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 have to, we have to do that. Another thing is, is that we have a, the church has in the past, and, and even in past generations, we have stripped people of their dignity. I want to tell you something. The Bible says that we were all created in the image and in the likeness of God. Not just believers, not just somebody who's got everything together. That, the thing that was so wonderful about Jesus was that he was always willing to go out of his way to love people right where they are, and he never took their dignity away from them. The woman taken in the act of adultery, now that's pretty blatant. 
It's not that we think you were having an affair. Or we, no, they, the Bible says that she was taken in the act of adultery, and I just think Pharisees didn't give her time to put her clothes on. I, I think they bring her and they throw her down in front of Jesus, and she's grabbing anything she can to, to try to get some semblance of decency back. Some of you don't read the Bible the way I do, I can tell. And Jesus won't even look at her because he knows that his look is so pure and so holy that it would destroy her in this moment that she's in. And so he looks down, he starts writing on the ground, he looks up, he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And again, he doesn't look at her, he looks back down. Writes in the dirt. The Bible says that from the eldest to the least, they left. <laughs> I always think that's a funny statement, but what it means is, is that the old guys got it first. <laughs> Youth, it takes a while. And, and, uh, and then, after, now watch this, after everybody is gone that could embarrass her, then Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? Then she looks around, and she said, Lord, I don't have any. And watch what he said. Neither do I condemn. Neither do I strip away your dignity. Go. Now, he didn't stop. He didn't just say, well, it's okay. He said, go and sin no more. We have been called as Christians to restore dignity to people's lives, not to strip it away. That's what God's called. So, so we've got to, do not steal means, in, yes, we all understand, don't go in the candy store and, and don't steal from your bought. We all understand that, but it's much deeper than that when you look at Scripture. Then verse 18 uh, b begins to kind of give us uh, some, some insight here. Uh, excuse me, verse, verse 16. Uh, it, it talks about, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The... the, the eighth aspect here is that you and I need to protect people's reputations what would happen if the next time somebody started talking trash about somebody you both know you just said wait a minute uh-oh you know what I I think that there is an idol in the American church we, we talked about idolatry at the first. There's an idol in the American church. Here, here's, here's what I consider the greatest idol in the American church, and, and it, it sounds really nice. It's called friendship. How many times have you heard people say, well, I know that they're wrong, and I, I, I know what they were saying wasn't right, and, and I know they shouldn't have, I, I, and they, they go through all this stuff, but they say, but they're my friend. Let me help you. The scripture says that the wounds of a friend are faithful. In other words, if they really are your friend, you ought to say, cut it out. Yeah. We're going to protect the reputation. Well, I saw, I don't care. Well, that, wait a minute. When did God call you to be the judge? We, we need to learn to protect. Well, well, I just can't help you. know, they just, they just pour it out. Really. The next time the garbage truck comes by, instead of him picking it up, why don't you just have him dump it? Because that's what... Well, I, I really didn't mean to get this fired up. That's what we do, is we just allow people to dump their trash in our life 
And the scripture says that we are destroying the reputation of someone else. So we need to stand. We need, we need to learn to say, wait, I'm not going there. Verse 17, the first part says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant. The, the, the ninth thing in this is that we need to learn to guard our desires. Now let me tell you something. Desire is not bad. God gave us desire. Our problem is, in fact, I'm going to do a whole series uh, in the latter part of October on desires gone bad. Somebody came to me after the first service and said, Pastor, why don't you do on desires gone wild? And I said, can't go there. <laughs> See, in, in our life, there's, God gives you those desires. The desire to eat. God gave you that desire. But if we're not careful, it becomes gluttony. Well, Hallelujah. Desire for intimacy. God gave you that desire for intimacy. But if you're not careful, you're going to be violating that one about adultery. Why? Because we're trying to fulfill our desires illicitly. And God says, no, no, no. Bring it into alignment. Bring it into this place where you understand you need to take care of your desires. Don't live like the world. The world says, if it feels good, do it. God says, if it feels good, do it in obedience to my moral code, and your life will be great. Let me give you the tenth one. Look in, in the latter part of verse 17. The first part there, he said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wives, manservant, maidservant. Then it goes on, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The last thing is that we need to respect personal property. Now, that doesn't sound like much. But every time you turn on a television and there's a riot going on somewhere because somebody didn't like something somebody said or did, if we would live by this, guess what? We wouldn't have that problem, would we? Do you know that every great religion gives credence to the Ten Commandments? Judaism, Muslim, Christianity, all gives credence to the Ten Commandments. And yet, look at what we have going on in our world on any given day. I'll bring it down home. That'll make you feel better. It'll probably make you feel worse. If you bar it and you break it, don't just set it back over there and act like you don't know what happened. Fess up. Offer to pay for it. Respect people's stuff. You say, Pastor, this is a whole lot of things, I know. I don't know when the last time was I covered ten things in a sermon. Here's what I know. The reason we believe in biblical morality is that we know that if we would live by what the Scripture says, that every problem on earth would be taken care of. There would be no issues, no problems, nothing. Now, understanding that, knowing it's never going to happen on this earth. There's coming a day 
when that will take place, but not here. But here's what we're called to do. We are called to take biblical morality and to become, the Bible says, salt and light to our world. One life can make a tremendous difference in the generations that are yet unborn. I read a study years ago in, in preparing for this series. I, I Googled it, thank God for Google, and I was able to find it again. And, and I want to relate this to you as I close today. In the early 1700s, there were two men that were born. The first man's name you've never probably heard of. His name was Max Jukes, J-U-K-E-S. The Jukes family had no religious tradition. In fact, when you study them, they said that there wasn't even a Bible within the whole family. The other man, born about the same time, his name was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor. He was even a college president. Early 1700s, they are born. In the early 1900s, a social scientist decided to look at these two families. I don't know why he chose them, but he did. And as he traced the past 200 years, he noticed some things that were quite interesting. When he looked at the Jukes family, let, let, me, just, let me give you a little bit of the Jukes family lineage. In that time span, there had been seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of questionable reputation, 130 convicts, 310 paupers who had lived off of everybody and lived off the state. Jonathan Edwards' family was looked at. Watch. One U.S. vice president. Three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Two lives. One said, don't need the Bible, won't base my life on biblical morality. What great destruction came through that lineage one man said the word of God gives me the direction I need for everything in life I'll put my life in his word I will live to the best of my ability with the morality that God has placed the world was changed for the better by biblical morality our challenge today is this how are we going to live? Are we going to accept the world's definition of morality or are we going to say, wait a minute, biblical morality is the way to live and we are going to conduct ourselves that way? If we do, I believe future generations will be impacted for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Amen?